is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, Shofar East London. It's good to be with you. We were trying to figure out what the last time was when I was here, and it feels like about three years ago. So uh, that's, that's way too long. It's wonderful to be back. Nikki and myself and, and our kids from time to time, we, we try and come around to East London at least once a year. Go to Ganubi and just chill there or stay in Andre's house when he's, when he's away. And East London has got a very special place in our hearts. It's such an amazingly relaxed place, relaxed environment. And we just come here to chill and sort of disappear, go off the radar a little bit and nobody knows where to find us. It's amazing. So... In a very real way, East London is like a safe space for Nikki and myself and the kids. And, uh, and so we always enjoy coming here and just being able to come here now to minister is such a privilege. Ministering the Word of God always is a massive privilege and I, I don't take it for granted. And leading this beautiful church family is a, it's a great honor as well in being able to, to, to be on the leadership together with people like Andre and Sonica and the rest of our apostolic team is, is tremendous because you're only ever as strong as your team. And so it is incredible to be part of a, a flourishing team, a humble team, a team that puts one another first. And I'm amazed at God's providence. I'm amazed at how God leads. I mean, we had no idea many years ago uh, when we were in Bible school together. We were working at the Bible school office in Stellenbosch. And uh, I sent out an SOS to the church leadership at that time. I was overwhelmed with the amount of work and everything. And I, I asked uh, Pastor Fred and Pastor William, who were overseeing us at that stage, guys, please, I need help. And they sent me Andre to, to come and help me. It was amazing. It lasted about a month or so. And then the media department stole him. And he took over the media, took the media next level. And so still today, I look up to Andre uh, when it comes to technology, especially. Uh, he is like the gadget man, like no one else that I know. And so we were having a conversation just before I came up now, and he said, ah, we was trying to sort out the lights because something happened to the Wi-Fi. And I'm like, what does the lights have to do with the Wi-Fi? It's like, no, I control the lights from my phone. I'm like, yes. Man, <laughs> that's just Andre, you know. Just, and so when I'm in his presence, I'm always challenged, you know, to upgrade my, my tech um, I'm challenged to, to upgrade my faith when I'm in His presence. Uh, upgrade next level. How many of you guys have heard those words? Next level. Uh, we are going next level. And so, <laughs> so brother, thank you for inspiring me as well. Always to go next level, never to settle, never to be comfortable with what is being. There's always a better way. There's always a faster way of doing things. And I'm so blessed by the spirit within this church. I'm blessed by you guys embracing the spirit of generosity, um, embracing your city, loving your city. And uh, Andre asked me to share a little bit about the impact that generosity has had on my life. And so what I will be doing this morning and this evening is to share a whole bunch of stories with you. And I'm sharing those stories with you not because my family has arrived, or because we are perfect by any stretch of the imagination, if you get to know us, you can ask my wife, we're a fallible family, we have a whole lot of things that we are still growing into, but the spirit of generosity has changed my life and has transformed my life and is continuing to transform my life. And so when I was thinking about love 
and just the theme that you guys have that love looks like something. I was thinking about love and how did love look to me? How did love first appear in my life? This the spirit of generosity, and I, I couldn't think of a better description, but love having come into my life, my family's life, like an invasion. Like love looks like an invasion to me. Uh, guys from the 80s, you Independence Day. This is first, this is the scene where right at the beginning, this massive spacecraft comes over the moon. You guys remember that's the opening scene and it just dwarfs the moon. It, it blackens out the moon and this massive aircraft comes in and there's an invasion of aliens coming. It's like a weird picture, but that's sort of the picture that I have in my mind of love that invades a space like that. Love that, that, that invades our lives. Love that invades our thinking, our lives, our budgets, everything about us. And now I'm going to share with you guys from Matthew 10 verse 8. Well, in actual fact, that's Andre's verse that he started with. And so I'm stealing his verse as my introduction. And I see Andre uses the message. And so I will be doing that a little bit as well. And, and Matthew 10 verse 8 says, Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. And as we were praying beforehand, I felt that God was saying that He's going to kick out some demons this morning. There are strongholds that are going to fall. There are prison gates that are opening up. And just to hear that song that we sang, that I believe that God this morning is going to set us free. As individuals, families, legacies and businesses, and dreams that are going to be set free this morning because of just the fact that that is what God does. And so when He asks us to, to bring health to the sick, to raise the dead, to touch the untouchables, to kick out demons and to give generously, He asks us to do that because that is what He's doing, isn't it? He's the one. We're simply following Him. We're simply following in His footsteps. And I'm going to share with you a little bit around how generous giving has impacted my life. But let me pray for us. Father, this morning we are in awe of you. We are in awe, God, of your amazing grace, your incredible faithfulness, God, the fact that you are here in our midst. That the God of the universe, Lord, with almost seven billion people on the face of the planet, gives his undivided attention to us this morning. You know us, that none of us has arrived here by accident. None of us are forgotten. God, that you know us, you are intimately involved in our lives in this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and have your way through me this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have already prepared every heart for the seed that you want to sow. And I thank you, Father, that you will have your way. You will move and continue to move in our midst. Thank you. Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit, here in our midst. Thank you for saving us and redeeming us, God. Thank you for a love that is unrelenting, furiously, passionately committed to overwhelming our hearts and transforming us, blazing your love through us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so I was... Um, Nikki and myself, we arrived on Thursday, and Andre and Sonica blessed us with a two-night stay in Ganubi. It's an amazing place. It's incredible. 
But on, uh, on uh, Wednesday evening, I was traveling to um, Paro. We live in Somerset West, and so we traveled to Paro. It's about a 30-minute drive to Paro because I had to go and pick up my mother-in-law because she has to look after our kids. They're back home. They're supposed to be studying. I hope they are. Um, well, they should actually be in church now. And our little girl said, Dad, I want to go to church. I don't want to miss church because we're doing the armor of God and I want to get my sword. So they've been making armor. And Kate, she's eight years old. She loves fire engines and swords. And she wants to wear pink but have a sword as well. So she's got that thing going. So I'm, I'm, I'm driving to Cape Town. A 30-minute trip suddenly becomes a two-and-a-half-hour trip because of a power outage. And uh, it's like, oh, man. And so an hour trip becomes a three-hour trip. I, Almost have driven to Oatsworn and, uh, and back, it felt like. And then we arrive in Ganubi and everything's hunky-dory. It's a lovely time. And then all of a sudden, boom, power goes out. So it's even here in East London. All right. And then a friend of mine sends me this, power problems. I don't know how many of you guys saw this. So there we've got the devil, right? It's like, hello, I'm the prince of darkness. This guy's like, oh, sweet, my mate. Are you from Eskom? <laughs> Anybody working here from Eskom? Bless you. Guys, we're not insinuating anything. We need you to shine the light there, right? Shine the light. Okay? But we have power problems, not just physically, but we've got power problems in our country. We've got power problems. We've got darkness all around us. And, and we have the prince of darkness that... that feels like he's in control of the darkness and he's in control of people's lives and families' lives and communities' lives. And what he wants to do is he wants to keep people in darkness. We've got some bad news for him. John 1 verse 1 to 5 says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So when we talk about power problems, we talk about darkness, we've got to understand that God is opposed to darkness. In Him there is no darkness. In Him there is no shadow of turning whatsoever. In Him there is only life. And that life is the light of men. And so when we talk about power problems and what do we need to dispel the darkness, we need light to dispel the darkness. But we don't just need a paraffin lamp and we don't just need a cell phone lamp. We need a consistent light. We need a light whose source is constant. And that light is our Lord Jesus Christ. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations say the darkness couldn't resist it. The darkness couldn't overpower it. And so if you think about the concept of an invasion, here it is, is that the light of God, which is the life of God, comes from heaven and invades earth. Amen? Comes from heaven and invades earth. And, and earth is made up out of people, individuals, and families, and neighborhoods, and communities, and towns, and villages, and cities, and nations. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot resist it. And I want you to remember this, that when we talk about generosity, when we talk about these acts of kindness, what we are talking about is taking the light into 
areas of darkness. Taking the light and that light, that little act of kindness that you are performing, you are bringing light, but you're not just bringing light, you are bringing life. You are bringing life. So remember this, those 50 or 70 of you, I believe it's about 70 of you guys are going to go to that crash. And when you go there, you are taking light there. When you go there, you are taking life there. And you're not just taking your, your cell phone or your paraffin lamp, you are taking the light of heaven there. When that, when that little baby was brought to that couple's life, to the king's house, what happened was there was a little baby who was the victim of darkness. Because what kind of darkness would drive a mom to neglect and abandon her baby? How broken must you be? How dark must be your mind? How dark must be the, the motherly instinct that's the strongest instinct in this world for a mom to walk away from her baby? There are there are thousands of babies, tens of thousands of babies being aborted in our country. There are thousands of babies being abandoned in our country. Darkness. Darkness. And so when we go and when we talk about acts of kindness, please know this, we're not just talking about just doing something. I want you to understand that when you engage, you are agreeing with heaven. You are part of heaven's army that's invading the darkness. You are part of a light brigade that is going into places to take not just your good ideas, not just your physical touch, not just your smile. As amazing as these, you guys are awesome. You're a smiling congregation. I love that. Do you know what it does to a preacher? To preach to, to, preach to people who are smiling? It's amazing. It's like, wow, these people like me. Laugh at my jokes. It's incredible, right? We can be a little bit insecure, right? So please, continue to help me as we get through this. It's amazing to... to to see people that are filled with the joy of God. But you're not just taking your joy, you're not just taking your kindness, you're not just taking your goodness, you are taking heaven's light, heaven's life into those situations. And Matthew 4 verse 15 says that the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, rode to the sea over Jordan, Galilee, crossroads for the nations. This is Jesus who's, who's been born into Galilee, which is a crazy thing if you think about it. In our context, Galilee would be an informal settlement, a place that's forgotten, a place that nobody goes into to say, hey, here I'm going to build a business that's going to change the world. Hey, here is a leadership school filled with leaders that are going to transform their community. Galilee was the place that was forgotten. Galilee was the place, if you came from Galilee, you weren't even allowed to read scripture within the churches in the other Jewish towns. You were that disdained. Your witness wasn't acknowledged and you couldn't hide it because you spoke with a Galilean accent. The Galileans, forgotten people. And yet God chooses to have His light invade earth, not just randomly, not just in any space, not just in any place, but in Galilee. Not in Jerusalem where all the religious people hung out and the princes were, but in Galilee. Forgotten people. Neglected people. And this beautiful verse says, People sitting out their lives in the dark saw a huge light. Sitting in the dark, dark country of death, they watched the sun come up. So when you engage with the spirit of generosity, when you engage with Christ's spirit to step out of your comfort like Jesus did, who stepped out of heaven, 
What you are doing is you are causing the sun to arise over someone's life. Because not just one normal human being entering into another normal human being's pain and hurt, you are taking heaven's light and heaven's life there. And I felt that in my heart that I had to confirm to you that what you are doing is immensely spiritual and powerful beyond what you can imagine. And it says that this Isaiah prophesied sermon, so this prophecy given by Isaiah about the light entering, it came to life in Galilee. The moment Jesus started preaching. So here it is, light, the word that was made flesh, the word that was with God, the word in in, in whom was life and that life was light, that entered the earth in the earth age, chose to begin through the preaching. Chose to begin through the proclamation. And so light can only come when it is proclaimed, can only come where it is preached, can only come where it is lived. Now we know that proclamation and preaching isn't just what I'm doing. Proclamation and preaching is living it. Amen? It's living it. We sort of think that truth is something we need to know here, but truth is something we need to know here. So that it can flow from here into my hands and into my feet. And so Jesus, Jesus preaches this gospel, change your life, repent. God's kingdom is here. We sang it this morning. And so when we engage with a spirit of generosity, when you look at your little list about blessing that person that, that you really don't want to bless and taking the coffee to the boss or whatever it is that's on that list that you're going to be doing, what you are doing is you are preaching God's kingdom. You are preaching God's kingdom. You are getting into the opposite spirit. Because the spirit of the world is a selfish spirit. I love your little emblem there and the, and the whole theme of generosity. Now, in the Bible, there's sort of two big cities that are always compared with one another. On the one hand, it's Jerusalem, which is God's city, heavenly Jerusalem of which we are part. God is our King. We worship the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and within Jerusalem, in this city... God is king and we prioritize God. We love God with all of our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. And we love our neighbors as ourselves. The other city opposed to Jerusalem is the city of Babylon. Where there's also a trinity. The trinity of me, mine, myself. So I want to do things my way. I want to do what's best for me. Nobody else is going to tell me what to do. And, And there it's all about the value of me, my comfort. My weekend, my Sunday, my hour, my time. In Jerusalem, this generosity, this generous city <laughs> works differently. Amen. And here is a generous city. Shofar is London. You are a generous city. And I, I sense earlier that God is going to release the river of generosity that is within your midst to flood East London and this region. But you've got to engage with it by faith. You've got to see that generosity isn't an event, isn't a little something that you just do. It is something profoundly spiritual. And at its essence, it is warfare. It is light versus darkness. Two kingdoms opposed to one another. Because the kingdom of darkness represents death. The kingdom of darkness that that wraps itself around those in, in poverty. Let me just say... That poverty isn't always reflected in your bank balance. Poverty and the spirit of poverty doesn't respect your skin color, doesn't respect your bank balance, doesn't respect your education. The spirit of poverty 
very often it's a spirit of slavery. It keeps you trapped in a mentality of, I never have enough. So right now, I must do what's best for me. Right now, I must get as much as I can. Right now, I must live in the moment. Right now, I must take first before it's taken from me. Right now, I will keep as much as I can. Let me also say this, that, that poverty in itself doesn't glorify God. There's a school of thought that the poorer, the poorer you are, the holier you are. But poverty in itself doesn't bring honor to God. Poverty doesn't reflect the heart of God, neither does it bring honor to the name of God. But within poverty, you can have people who by their choices and by their actions can reflect the heart of God and can bring honor to the name of God. Amen? But poverty in itself doesn't. Poverty doesn't glorify God. Why? Because poverty breaks people. The stats are aboundingly clear that within an environment of poverty, your options are limited. Infant mortality is the highest amongst poor people. Stunted physical and mental growth prevalent amongst those who are abjectly poor. poor. Death to curable diseases are taking place within poor communities. In other words, diseases that you could easily be healed from causes massive deaths within poor communities. Vulnerability to sex trafficking and slave labor is much higher within poor communities. Violence against women and children, substance abuse, neglect of orphans and physically and mentally handicapped people is much higher within poorer communities. The kingdom of darkness is out to keep people enslaved, to keep them trapped. Why? Because it keeps them vulnerable. It keeps them slaves to a system that abuses them. There's this report I quickly want to read for you. The Global Report for Research on Infectious Diseases of Poverty says the following. Poverty creates conditions that favor the spread of infectious diseases. And I believe it creates conditions that favor the spread not just of physical infectious diseases, but spiritual infectious diseases as well. And it prevents affected populations from obtaining adequate access to prevention and care. Ultimately, these diseases disproportionately affect people living in poor or marginalized communities. In other words, you would have many of the same things also happening in wealthier communities, but it is disproportionately higher. In other words, wealthy people also abandon babies, also fall ill to sicknesses they can be cured from. Children can also be vulnerable to trafficking. But it is exponentially higher within poorer communities. Social, economic, and biological factors interact to drive a vicious cycle. I want you to remember that. A vicious cycle of poverty and disease from which, for many people, there is no escape. And so when we talk about people sitting in darkness, we are talking about a large portion of our society who finds themselves trapped within this kind of darkness. So it's not something theoretical, it is not something, you know, that exists in isolation. There are real people being impacted and real people who find themselves trapped. Luke 4 verse 18, this is the good news. Got to paint the, the bad news a little bit first. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So Jesus comes, He proclaims the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He stands up in His first sermon, He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. 
And he could have started by saying, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and he has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has anointed me to set free the prisoners. He has anointed me to proclaim healing to the brokenhearted. He could have started there, but he didn't. He started. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. In other words, the poor is a priority to the Holy Spirit. And we know that poor there also speaks about poor in spirit. That those poor in spirit, those open to receive, receives from God. It, it's crazy how when Jesus' birth was announced, it wasn't announced to religious leaders, it wasn't allowed, announced to Herod, it was announced to shepherds. And to wise men from the east, from a faraway country, who were hungry and humble to receive from God. And so in a crowd like this, there will be people here who are hungry and receives the good news. And it could be those of us who are challenged on many different fronts to just keep our hearts hungry, soft, open to receive from God. Because what your hunger determines what you receive from God. Or rather, your hunger determines how much you receive from God. The hungrier you are, the more you receive. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Are you hungry and thirsty? And, and here, I want to pray for some of you at the end. Because maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But there is an anointing to break the cycle of poverty. There is an anointing as there is an anointing to set captives free, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. There is an anointing to live generously. In other words, what is an anointing? An anointing is a supernatural endowment from God, an empowerment from God, where God takes a normal human vessel, pours His Spirit into that vessel, and through Him changes the atmosphere, changes lives. There is an anointing. So some of you involved with the poor, with NGOs, you're not just busy with a good work. There's an anointing. Tap into that. As you, as you engage with that list, trust God for the anointing. I'll never forget, I realized that there was an anointing when I was a single young man to pursue my wife. There was an anointing that God was committed to me finding a godly woman. And He empowered me. And so I, I was led by the Holy Spirit to be at the right place at the right time. In the library where we studied, it's a massive library in Stellenbosch. But the Holy Spirit led me. And I was there at the right time. I could see Nikki, keep an eye on her. Leave a little note there. Pursue her. Just like, it's God was on my side. Lord, what flowers does she like? Could buy her flowers. It was amazing. Partnering with God. Some of you young men, partner with the Holy Spirit. Alright, there is an anointing. An anointing is simply God looking at us and knowing, you can't do this in your own strength. But I want to come. I want to anoint you. I want to empower you. And Jesus sends us out to do what? To do what He has done. And He preached the good news to the poor. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and to destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it in abundance. The Amplified says, To have life, to have it to the full until it overflows. So, so, so what is happening? There's a clash of kingdoms, isn't there? There's a clash of, of kings. Within this world, kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of death and the kingdom of life. There's a thief that steals and kills and destroys. And everywhere we go, if we look around us, we can see the killing, the stealing and the destroying taking place around us. But Jesus says, I'm not part of that kingdom. 
I'm not the one stealing. I'm not the one killing. I'm not the one destroying. Let's not blame God for what the devil is doing. I'm here so that you can have life and have life in abundance. If you wonder about the heart of God, if you are unsure whether the Old Testament things apply to you or not, bring your uncertainty to the life of Jesus and look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you are unsure about the church and can you trust the church and all the stuff the church is doing and the preachers falling away and the worship leaders falling away, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because He's our key. He's our cue. He's the one that we want to emulate. And so being generous is about taking this life and this life in abundance that God has given us and pouring that over others. Pouring it over others. At the end of last year, we went to Beaufort West. You guys know where Beaufort West is? In the Karoo. Beaufort West is my hometown. I was, well, it's more the town where I was born. I don't really have a hometown. We lived in many different places all across uh, our nation. But Beaufort West is the place where I was born. And we went there for my cousin's wedding. If you can put up that, the next slide. And I'll show you a picture there where, of course, that's me in the middle. And um, it's my beautiful wife, of course, on the left hand side. All right, and, and I must tell you, I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit led me to this woman. She's strong. There's a strength inside of Nikki that, that I cannot do without. She's someone who, who loves genuinely. I've not come across anyone who loves as genuinely as my wife does. And she's consistent in her friendship, consistent in her discipleship, consistent in the way that she disciples our children. It's amazing. I learned so much from the strength that God has built inside of us. The bravest woman I know. And, 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 and my wife, just recently we went to a prize giving and we have uh, our eldest girl. She's now 12 and she was invited to this prize giving event. And, and um, it wasn't an African school, they're in an English school now, but this prize giving event was in an African school. And most Afrikaans people get our surname wrong. Well, not wrong, pronounce it like Titus instead of Titus, right? And so, and then you just let it slide and so forth. And, and Nikki's just been coaching Annika and it's like, no, that's not your surname. Your surname is Titus. And so she goes up and they announce Annika Titus. And Annika walks up to the guy, big smile on the face. It's Titus. And she, I say, oh, Titus. And I'm like, go babes. Yeah? Just like discipleship, teaching her to be proud of who she is. That is who God has made you to be. That's a surname God has given you. And you've got to define that. And so a spirit of poverty just accepts everything that's thrown at you. You don't stand up for yourself. And you get other people's blueprint and other people's agenda and other people's plans for your life. But the gospel says, hey, God has made me as someone. And I'm going to be proud of that someone. And so... I love my wife for many, many reasons. That's one of them. And to my left is my brother. He's an electronic engineer working in the aerospace industry. My mom next to him in front of me. Then to my right is my cousin. He was a worship leader in Shofar for many years. He's now married to Joanne, who's standing next to my mom. She's pastor in Belito. He's finishing his commercial pilot's license and um, still doing worship and doing IT at Live Village. Some of you guys might have heard about Live Village. Have you taken a mission trip to Live Village yet? Guys, a mission trip to Live, all right? It's a massive place, beautiful place where they have all these orphans they're looking after. First go to the one here, all right? And then you go further. 
And then there's my brother, Gunther. So Werner on my left, Gunther on my right. He's pastor at Live Village for my cousin's wedding. It was an amazing wedding. It was incredible. Both of the ways is sort of an interesting place for me to go back to. It's a place where I've got very precious memories, where Nick and myself, where we got engaged. We almost got married there, and then sanity kicked in. We got married in Cape Town. But it's also a place that has some painful memories. When I was born, both of the West, within the hospital where I was born, in those days, still it's segregated wings, so wing for non-white people, wing for white people. And then when I was born, the incubator machine, what do you call that thing, the bruikas? What's a bruikas? Incubator? Yeah, in the in the non-white section was, was broken. I had to, um, there were some complications and things. And the laws of the time, the interpretation of the people who interpreted the laws couldn't see themselves taking that baby, an incubator that's not working, and put it in the other wing of the hospital where there's an incubator that's, that's working. Those, those were some of the stuff, and that's a story much later that one of the nurses told me. And so, so there were some of those things going back to Beaufort West that challenges me, like walking in forgiveness, continuing to walk in forgiveness. But there were some other things that happened there, but going back to Beaufort West challenges me in some levels. But going to that place, we celebrated my cousin's wedding. The greater miracle, the greater celebration during that time, just the day or so after that, was this event. And that was our little girl, Kate, being baptized in Beaufort West. Now, Kate, she's eight years old now. And there you have three generations. You've got myself, my daughter Kate, and my dad, Albert. And Kate is baptized in Beaufort West in the middle of the worst drought that Beaufort has ever seen. <laughs> the hottest day I've ever encountered almost in my entire life. And before we went to Beaufort West, she said, hey, we're going to Beaufort West. Dad, I want to get baptized there. I'm like, there's a drought. They switch the water off most of the times during the, during the day. I don't know where we're going to get water from, but this girl has got faith that she's going to get baptized in Beaufort West. And then the Lord supernaturally organized, arranged for us a, a guest house. And that guest house just happened to have a swimming pool because it's built on the only vein that runs underneath Beaufort West. So it's only that one street that has got water, unlimited supply of water. And she was baptized in that pool. Why do I tell you that story? Because that little girl is going to change the world. She's eight years old now. She was filled with the Holy Spirit when she was three. Her mom and her just had a conversation about speaking in tongues. And the Holy Spirit came upon her. We didn't even lay hands on her. And she's speaking in, in, uh, in other tongues. She's got a faith and she's going to change the world because she knows the love of the Father. She knows that Daddy loves her. And she's got an expectation that all things are possible. She takes things in her stride. She's been overseas now twice. I only went overseas when I was in my, in my, in my 30s. <laughs> Why am I saying this to you? That little life, her testimony, the fact that she has what she has, started with me giving my life to Jesus. I was um, four years old. And my dad told me the story of Solomon and how God came to Solomon and asked Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? And he said, I want wisdom. Remember that story? And God said, because you wanted wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else. And that story struck a chord in my heart, so much so that that night I had a dream where I dreamed God coming to me, dreamed Jesus coming to me and asking me, what do I want? And I said, I want wisdom. So I woke up and I went to my dad. I woke him up. I said, Dad, I had this dream. And my dad had the wisdom 
to sit me down and say to me, the greatest act of wisdom is to surrender your life to Christ. Surrender your life. Not just take Jesus into your heart. Surrender your life to Him. And so four years old, I could give my life to Jesus. I could surrender to His calling. And a passion was started inside of me that it has grown stronger and stronger and stronger over the years. Because I had a dad who was, who was there in that moment. He was there. He was present. He was in the house. He was accessible. I could go to him. I could wake him up. And he had a scriptural frame of reference. He was a present dad. It was a safe space to me. It still is. It still challenges me on whether I'm taking time with my wife and my schedule and speaks into my life. It's much shorter than I am, but I, I look up to him and one day when I'm big, I hope to be a man of God like he is. So I surrendered my life to God in that moment. I backslid, but I came back to the Lord when I was five years old. I met the Lord powerfully in the bathroom. I had a Damascus Road encounter with, with God, my mom in a wooden spoon, and she cast out every bit of rebellion out of me and set my life on course. The fear of mom is a beautiful thing. Thankful for the Holy Apple. But throughout my whole life, I had God boxing me in, protecting me, using friends to minister to me when I wanted to sin. I was immature and finally succumbed to the peer pressure. And I wanted to start smoking. And one of my friends, one of the biggest smokers on the school said, Heinrich, I will knock you silly. He used some other colorful language. If you start smoking, <laughs> because you are a light in the darkness. And if you start smoking, there's no hope for any of us. Don't you dare smoke. <laughs> So God uses my unsaved friend to keep him on the straight and the narrow. And for a long time I felt intimidated by other people's testimonies because I didn't have a massive testimony of drugs and sleeping around and all of those things. But my testimony was one of preservation, of a straight and narrow, of a legacy, of railway tracks that have been set in motion in my life. And to him who much has been given, much will be required. So I know that there's a massive responsibility upon my life that I don't take for granted. But my coming to salvation, as Kate coming to salvation, started with me coming to salvation, me coming to salvation, my testimony started with my dad. And I want to give you the context very quickly. When we live generously, the impact of that generosity happens on four levels. I will just do two now, and I will do three and four tonight. The impact of living generously means that there's an invasive or an incarnational and confrontational impact. That when you live generously, there's an incarnational dimension to it. In other words, the message that you share, the, the giving that you have, the spirit of generosity, it becomes incarnational. In other words, it invades someone's life. It gets into someone's life. It looks like someone. The spirit of generosity looks like you. And it is countercultural. It's confrontational. It will confront a few things. It will disrupt a few things. It will challenge a few things. It will upset a few people. It is transformative and it is continuous. I'm still being transformed. I'm still learning things. I'm still being changed. It is communal. The best way for the spirit of generosity to, to, to have its impact is for it not to happen in isolation, but in partnership. And it is transgenerational. If we truly live generously, it outlasts our own lifetimes. It goes beyond what we can imagine. Luke 9.23 
Jesus says, if anyone wishes to follow me, there were many people following Jesus, right? Following him for bread, following him for miracles, following him for a lot of things. But it says, if you want to follow me as my disciple, you must deny yourself. In other words, you must set aside selfish interest. There's no way you can go through your, li- through your list, go through that list and say, hey, this, the flesh just agrees. The flesh, this is the list the flesh drew up. Yeah, I can see my flesh drawing that up. That list is countercultural. It's against your flesh. And by doing that, engaging that you kill the, kill the flesh, you've got to take up your cross daily. In other words, express a willingness to endure whatever might come and follow Jesus, believing in Him, conforming to His example in living and, if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. So, so let me say this. Living generously is not about doing something. It is all about a lifestyle of discipleship. Living generously is not an aspect of church life. It is not for those super generous people, those super compassionate people. It is a fundamental spiritual 101 tenant of Christianity. There was a man who, who impacted my dad's life and by implication my life and my children's lives. And, and his name is Umkubus Leroux. Umkubus Leroux was an incredible man who experienced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into his life as an invasive, disruptive, confrontational, countercultural power. He had a profound encounter with Jesus and he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he, he was a farmer outside Valiersdorp in, in the Western Cape, just outside Franschhoek. And he was farming with grapes and wine. And the, the, the gospel of, of Jesus impacted his life in such a way that it began to make him feeling unsettled because all around him, on the farm where he was living, there were people working for him that were addicted to alcohol. They were addicted to alcohol because the system of, of alcohol abuse, the cycle of alcohol abuse, was being transferred from one generation to the next. And many of the farm owners perpetuated that cycle by compensating their workers with cheap alcohol. And the Spirit of God came upon him. He said, live generously. And so there was this, this wrestle inside of him. And he said, God, what do I do? God said, open up the farm for evangelism. And so an evangelist came to minister on that farm. And, and as he was ministering on that farm, a 12-year-old young boy gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That 12-year-old young boy was my father. And he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ because of one man that said, the spirit of generosity demands of me, I cannot just be a farmer and devoid my professional life from my Christian life. I've got to do something. I've got to invite God's kingdom into this farm. Have your way here, God. Let your kingdom come here, God. And so he opened himself up spiritually, but he also opened up his professional life. And so the Holy Spirit began to work with him and said to him, Quibus, I want you to transform the economy of the farm. Your people working for you are vulnerable for as long as you are making grapes and making wine. Planting grapes, growing grapes and making wine. They are vulnerable. You're expecting them to change, and yet they are trapped within this environment where they're surrounded by all of this. I want you to change it all. And his peers thought he was crazy. Because why break something that's working? Why upset the status quo? Why run a risk of bankrupting your entire farm and risk the legacy of your own children? 
And God said, you can build a legacy for yourself and your children, or you can build a legacy for others. And so we plucked out all the, the vineyards, planted apples. And people said, you are crazy. Today, people go from far and wide to go and see what Radain farms are doing. Apples are now being planted everywhere in that area. It's flourishing. One of the greatest exporting communities of apples in our country. And it started with a man that took a risk. Live generously. Live generously. Live generously. So the spirit of generosity, the spirit of Christ invaded and confronted his spirituality and his personal life. And it flowed from his prayer life into his budget, into his time, into his career and his very future. What is there in your life that you need to give access to the spirit of generosity to? I'm not talking about just taking something out of the pocket and just giving you hours. It's good. Praise God for that. God uses that. He starts there. We've got to start small. Amen? We've got to start small. We've got to be, be practical. But I believe you've got to open up something in your heart this morning. So the context of my, my message this morning is this. The spirit of generosity, if you submit to it, will probably upset a great deal about your life. But the fruit is worth it. Because it is not just invasive, it is not just countercultural, it's also transformational. And I'm going to finish here. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. It's powerful. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And generosity challenges us to evaluate our culture. The way I'm living my life, is it just because the way it's always been done? Or am I healed to the Spirit of God? Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Amplified translation says, you'll be transformed and progressively changed. And so, on this farm, as, as the gospel was being preached, there were the clash of these two kingdoms. Right? On this farm, there was tremendous fatherlessness and a sense of illegitimacy. My, my father's context, think of my context, the home that I grew up in, was the exact opposite. There was this, this scourge, this cycle, we can have the next slide, of tremendous fatherlessness. My, my father's father was an amazing man. My, my dad remembers him as a man who loved to play the violin. He used to work on the telephone poles. He was a brilliant shoemaker. And then settled in Valiersdorp to work on a farm there after he came back from the Second World War. And most people remember him as a quiet man. But he came back from the Second World War a broken man. And so underneath the, the, the quietness, there was this raging anger that came out when he was drinking. And as that came out, he was a dangerous man to be around. And so my father learned from a very young age that your safest place would be to be as far away from your dad as possible. Because he was dangerous. And fatherlessness wasn't just a, a, a manifestation within the Titus family back then. It was rampant right throughout the community in which my family lived. Because from the very earliest days of slavery, where, where men were being treated almost as a thoroughbred to give the slave owner more slaves, and then the women and the children were sold, and the father would then just generate more children, it was ingrained within many people that you don't father, you just work. And to numb that pain, you drink. And within the colored community, name given to people that's not white enough or black enough, and the government don't know what to do with us, and we've got Indian blood and Chinese blood and, and Indonesian blood and Afrikaner blood and German blood and Dutch blood and San and Koi and Kosa, all blood mixed into our veins. It's a name given to this community that has 
this brokenness in terms of fatherlessness. And gangs are running rampant in our communities because of that. And it was into an environment like this that the gospel was preached to my dad. Alcohol abuse, marital disintegration, most of the, my family members born into an environment where they're born outside of wedlock because of their generational curses of not having strong marriages. Very soon after my dad gave his life to the Lord, I only discovered this much later as I read through his thesis that he, that he wrote a couple of years ago. On his way to work, you see, it's a young man, so he had to go. An older drunken man grabbed hold of him, dragged him into the trees, put his mouth over his hand, raped him and told him, if you ever tell anybody about this, I will kill you. And so, and so in that moment, I'm sure that the devil might have, I don't know, but maybe he did have an inkling of an idea that one day that this man will lead his son to the Lord. That one day that this man's grandchild will be led to the Lord. That, that one day that man will use his pain as a river of life to transform the lives of others. So my father spent years having to work through that pain. But there was something inside of his life, something that couldn't be extinguished, a flame planted there by the gospel because someone chose to live generously. Most sexual offenders today have been sexually broken and hurt and abused themselves. My dad had to leave school when he was in standard six so he could earn a living to provide for his sisters to go to school. Poor education. No leadership qualities. No education from the outside. Political segregation. We don't have to go into that. But the beautiful outcome of all of this, I'm going to say to you, is that none of those things, as powerful as they were, were more powerful than the transformative power of the gospel. We can go to the next slides. So the fatherlessness and the sense of illegitimacy in which my dad had to grow up, that stopped with him. It stopped with him because one man, Umkubus Leroux, chose to live generously, chose to preach the gospel, chose to believe in my dad. And there you have myself and my, my brother, the one on the left is still unmarried. It's the older brother. And my youngest brother, little son. And all of us know the love of a father. All of us have access to a dad who is extremely affectionate, extremely close and intimate with us. All because of someone that chose to live generously and make a difference in his life. And because of the way my dad raised me, my wife and I, we decided to foster a little boy. He was five months old when he came to us and he's 14 years old now. Why? Because we believe in the power of the gospel and we, it's an imperfect journey, but we believe in the power of the gospel that can break the cycle of fatherlessness and illegitimacy. You don't have to wonder about your identity if you have a dad that loves you. It's the baby dedication of little Nathan Titus was dedicated a while ago. The transformational power of the gospel broke the power of alcohol abuse and marital disintegration. My father decided as the gospel impacted his life and he said, I will not drink one drop of alcohol to the grace and the power of God. And so I could grow up in a home where there was no alcohol abuse whatsoever. None. The cycle was broken. And I don't condemn anybody else who drinks alcohol. Got no problem with that. But I know that for me, my bloodline, it's a weakness. So I don't go there. I don't touch it. That door has been shut. My father shut that door. My father fought that battle for me, for my girls, because someone chose to live generously. 
So I'm not going to open up their door. My mom and my dad, they celebrated their their 49th wedding anniversary this year. They did not become part of the statistics. Why? Because someone chose to live generously. The sexual abuse of my father shaped him. And he became a doctor in pastoral theology and counseling. Ministered to so many broken people. And just a while ago, he brought out his first book where he shares some of the things that he has learned. Many of our pastors in Shofar today went through a week in what we call curses to blessing many, many years ago. And my father was there ministering to those very pastors who were students today because someone chose to live generously. My dad had poor education. The power of the gospel started a flame inside of him that said, I will not look for excuses. And so even though he couldn't be at school, he studied through the mail, worked on the farm during the day and the evening. He would wash the dishes at the hostel and study late at night when he got home. could go to university. And he could go to university because Umkobus Leroux believed in him and said, Albert, you can do it. And his final year of studies, they had to preach different places. Umkobus Leroux blessed my dad with his Volkswagen Kiewer. And my dad named this car Samuel, prayed from God. And one day, in one holiday, my dad accompanied his roommate to a place called Beaufort West. Went to visit his roommate, and there he met his roommate's sister. And here I stand. <laughs> and here I stand because someone chose to live generously. Chose to bless my dad with a car that took him further than he would have ever thought possible. From Kubislaru, it was just a car that was giving. In the context of eternity, destiny was being shaped and changed and transformed. Political segregation couldn't keep my dad from accomplishing what he had to. Today, our family, a small portion of our family, we so mixed. There are white people in there that are brown and brown people that are white. It is just amazing. So Matthew 25, 14, two minutes. The king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, it was me. And I'm glad that Mkubis Leroux did something for a little 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy. It was overlooked and it could have become one of the statistics. Because he chose to live generously, he changed a whole generation. This evening I'm going to talk about the power of a community that lives transformationally. I'm going to take you a little bit on my journey as to how God continued to work out that legacy in my life. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.